1: So, the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card.
2: AT&T connects an O to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. 10 more minutes to dream. Connect the shower.
1: I know it's so corny, and, and and please just humor me for a second. Super producer Casey, can we have a little bit of Christmas music? Humbug. <laughs> there we are. Uh, welcome to the show, folks. My name's Ben. I
0: don't like Christmas. You don't like Christmas, Noel? I'm the Grinch what stole Christmas and then ransomed it back to the little who's of Hoovil. The Grinch was very
1: anti-Christmas, at least at the offset of the story. Did you see the Halloween special? Oh, that one's...
0: That, that, that freaked me out when I was a kid. Halloween is Grinch night? Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's a good one. It's a good one. It's very psychedelic when the he lets out all the spooks and the ghosts and stuff, and the hack and sacks are howling. We're not talking about Halloween today. We're talking about Christmas. Right. Christmas,
1: those for it and against it. If you have in your life uh, someone who is not a fan of the holidays in general, or this particular holiday, Christmas, mm. right? Uh, then you may enjoy this episode, because when we think of Christmas here in the West, we think of some basic iconic things. Yeah, the, right? y- the Yule Log. Yeah, the, the Yule
0: Log. The Christmas tree. Mm-hmm. Hot uh, cocoa. A nativity scene, right? Rampant commercialism. Right, right. The Coca-Cola Santa Claus. And the polar bears. Sometimes all in the same picture. Sometimes it's the Santa Claus riding the polar bears. At least that's in, in my nightmares.
1: Right. And this is, uh, this is the age of the meme. So we could just go ahead and, and throw in, you know, uh, Jeff Goldblum or Christopher Walken. Just like in the mix. Why not? Why not?
0: It's a party all the time a ridiculous history.
1: And Christmas in the U.S., uh, by a number of different metrics, is a hugely important event, a hugely important annual event. Economically, it's very important to both, uh, businesses and to governments, right? Uh, spiritually, it's very important to people who practice Christianity, mm-hmm. and even for people who don't really, uh, consider themselves spiritually aligned with the celebration of Christmas, they might still participate because a lot of the traditions are fun. You know, you got the stockings and the stuff in the stockings. <laughs> You've got a uh, Christmas presents. They're a huge thing. Um I personally, I, I don't know about you, Noel, but I personally remember growing up with people who uh, did not consider themselves Christian but celebrated Christmas because they loved, you know, the parties and they loved the gifts and the, the making merry. The gifts? Mm-hmm. Yep. Christmas gifts? Both with a T and without.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, it's hard to imagine a time where this wasn't the case, where, you know, the the, the, the Santa Claus riding polar bears um, on, on a sleigh of death was not confronting you at every turn. But as it turns out, Christmas did not used to be uh, nearly as big a deal as it is today, right? Absolutely. And to explore this further,
1: we are going to take a trip back in time. Uh, let's go to let's go to what will later be called Cape Cod, Massachusetts.
0: Should we should we time travel? We haven't I haven't done that in a while. Yeah, let's go. All right, cool. <laughs>
1: Here we are, Noel. It's 1620. European colonists disembark from a ship called the Mayflower with the aim of establishing a colony and a new, better way of life in the new world. And they wanted to leave a lot of things behind. One of the things they wanted to leave
0: behind was the celebration of Christmas. Not only just Christmas, but, like, everything associated with Christmas. Because to the Puritans, it represented debauchery, mm-hmm. uh decadence. R- frivolity, decadence, yeah. <laughs> and uh ultimately sinfulness, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So quick and dirty background on on Puritans and Puritanism. It was a reform movement that arose in the Church of England in the late sixteenth century. And the church didn't like it, the crown didn't like it, and This, you know, in in many ways provided the motivation for these colonists to leave and seek a different life in the new world. And without going too far into it, I do want to note this. This is pretty interesting. The word Puritan was actually used as a pejorative. The word came from the enemies of Puritanism. They were also sometimes called Precisionist And boy howdy, did they have a, a, a bone to pick or a beef to stew with Christmas. Uh, they didn't understand it. They said the harvest are done, the cattle are slaughtered, so they don't have to be fed in winter. This means there's fresh meat and fresh wine as well as a lot of time off in abundance, right? And one of their primary issues with this, decadence aside, was that the Bible, they said, notes no specific date for the birth of Jesus Christ.
0: Yeah, it's really interesting, too, because there were non-Puritans um, in these camps. In fact, a man named William Bradford in his journal um, called Of Plymouth Plantation made a note of a disagreement that uh, arose between him and some newly arrived non-Puritans, on Christmas of 1621. And it goes like this. Uh, one, the day called Christmas Day, the governor called them out to work. But most of this new company excused themselves and said it went against their conscience to work on that day. So the governor told them that if they made it matter of conscience, he would spare them till they were better informed. Later, he found them in the street at play on Openly, some pitching the bar, and some at stool ball, and such like sports. (laughs) So he went to them and took away their implements, and told them that was against his conscience, that they should play and others work. If they made the keeping of it matter of devotion, let them keep their houses. But there should be no gaming or reveling in the streets, since which time nothing hath been attempted that way, at least openly. So it's like, you know, hey, if you got to play at stoolball and frolic, do it behind closed doors, man. No one wants to see that. Keep it. Yeah. Keep
1: it under wraps. Keep it in the house. That was a great read, Noel. And it's true. The governor in this case, Bradford, is not being um a unique pill all on his own. The Puritans thought that what was going on in England was not just a sign of debauchery for Christmas time and for the English, but it was a sign of the decline of civilization and a decline of all the things that had any value whatsoever. This comes from a history professor named Penn Rastad who wrote a pretty fascinating book called Christmas in America, a history. So they thought they weren't just being fuddy duddies. They thought they were saving Western civilization and the good things of English society. And at first, it sounds like he's kind of tolerant where he says, you know, until you know better, it's okay. Do what, do what you want. But man, he just couldn't
0: take them playing out in the streets. That didn't last long, though, Ben, because in 1659, on May 11th, to be precise, the Massachusetts Bay Colony legislature passed an official ban on Christmas, and uh, anyone found celebrating it would be fined uh, five shillings. But we're getting ahead of ourselves just slightly. This goes back farther to a man named Oliver Cromwell.
1: Yes. Yeah. Uh, so there was a... Similar Christmas ban in England during the rule of Oliver Cromwell uh when Parliament was controlled by a Puritan majority, the Puritan Parliament decided to make Christmas time a period of fasting and humiliation in prayer
0: and prayer right. yes. Uh, for all the sins of previous Christmases. And let's just point out, this Oliver Cromwell was no joke. Uh, he was one of the signers of King Charles I's death warrant, which led to this uh, admittedly brief English Commonwealth, uh, and the ban that he uh, imposed lasted nearly 20 years. So for nearly two decades... Christmas carols were banned, uh, any kind of open uh, celebration of Christmas was banned, um, and yet people held on to these traditions and had to kind of take it underground, right? But why did they hate Christmas, Ben? I thought this was a celebration of the birth of baby Jesus.
1: Well, again, they said there's no specific date assigned to it in the Bible, in their holy text, so... There's nothing to celebrate, in their opinion, and they saw it as just, you know, everybody using the holidays as an excuse to create their own Las Vegas.
0: Yeah, but what's the origins of Christmas, Ben? We know that uh, it was accused of of being too aligned with pagan traditions, but where where does all that come from, and how did December twenty fifth uh, become a thing? Oh, oh man, okay.
1: This is, uh, this is a twisted tale. You can actually hear, uh, an interesting take on this from our other show, uh, Stuff They Don't Want You to Know. We have a piece about the strange origins of Christmas and Noel, you are absolutely correct. A lot of the things considered Christmas traditions today, uh, arose independently hundreds of years after the era of Jesus Christ and they come from pre-existing
0: religions or folk beliefs, right? Yeah, I was playing a little coy. I actually found this great paper called How December 25th Became Christmas by Andrew McGowan, uh, which originally appeared in the Bible Review in December of 2002. And he says that celebrations of Jesus' birth and the nativity and all that are not mentioned anywhere in the Gospels or Acts, um, and that one of the only references to... To a timing, a time frame for Jesus' birth uh, was this notion of shepherds tending their flocks at night when they hear the news of Jesus' birth, which is from Luke 2.8. And that suggested, actually, that this took place during the spring lambing season. Um, but, uh, McGowan says, most scholars... Say it's sort of a mistake to try to pull a specific date out of this kind of circumstantial evidence, right? And I mean, there's, it's, it's very vague.
1: So, the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hey, Noel, have you ever wanted to wake up to something better?
0: Oh, boy, have I ever been.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, this is where Avalon Waterways comes in. How does waking up to a medieval castle, an ancient cathedral, a rolling vineyard, or a charming cobblestone village sound to you?
0: Here on Ridiculous History, that's right up our street, Ben. Our charming cobblestone street. So I can say it sounds pretty good to me.
1: You're absolutely right, Noel. Avala Waterways has redefined cruising in so many
0: and more of everything.
1: Limited time special offers await at AvalonWaterways.com. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Mint Mobile.
0: You know, Ben, I got to say, one of the best parts about spring cleaning is that post-clean clarity you get where you're like, man, how have I been living like this?
1: What's wrong with me? (laughs) You're right, Noel. It's kind of like when you find out you've been paying a fortune for wireless when Mint Mobile has phone plans for 15 bucks a month when you purchase a
0: three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile and get unlimited talk, text, and data for 15 bucks a month.
1: To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com
0: slash ridiculous. That's mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash ridiculous.
1: $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month
0: plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details.
1: Christmas itself, the the celebration as we would understand it, and the customs that a lot of Puritans would have been familiar with, uh, it's all the result of this agglomeration of different pre-existing festivals, pagan festivals in many cases that were later co-opted in some way by the Catholic Church.
0: Yeah, there was one particular called Saturnalia mm-hmm. that uh, took place in late December and aligned with the winter solstice. Um, and the Roman emperor Aurelian actually established this other feast of the birth of Saul Invictus, or the unconquered sun. And that was on December 25th. So uh, McGowan argues that it was a spinoff from these pagan solar festivals. Christmas was, in fact, a spinoff. And there are two theories uh, of how Christmas became the Christmas that we know today, um, one of which is more popular than the other. Mm -hmm. And that is that early Christians chose these dates to coincide with these pre-existing, uh, what they would re- refer to as barbarian kind of holidays, Roman holidays, uh-huh. uh, so that they could kind of encourage Christianity to spread because they'd be like, well, it's the same. It happens around the same time. I might as well just do this new Christmas thing instead of, you know, the old ways. But it was a little easier to swallow. But th- then he goes on to say that there are problems with this, that it doesn't appear in any early Christian writings, um, and that to this day it's not 100 percent sure why December 25th became the day we celebrate Christmas. But it is pretty compelling to
1: note that there were, you know, these pre-existing sun-worship-based, you know, religions or sets of beliefs like Mithraism, uh, the Roman religions. Uh, James Frazier had this pretty conclusive take on it, at least in his opinion. He said the largest pagan religious cult that fostered the celebration of December 25th as a holiday was the pagan sun-worship Mithraism, and their winter festival was called the Nativity of the Sun. And if they, like other civilizations or other belief systems were keeping the 25th of December as a sacred day to them it was the birthday of the sun essentially then this idea of co-opting makes perfect sense it's easier to say yes to that and it's a practice that's common it's called religious syncretism so for instance when um let's say you have a pre-existing religion right and you want to proselytize you want to travel and spread the the good news and you go to a, a land where no one has ever heard of your religion, but they have their own religion. Then you start saying, oh, that uh, that god you worship is actually, you know, uh, St. Jiminy Crickets, whatever. I'm making up a religion. And you say the whole time, you've been practicing this religion. Let me just show you what to call it. Absolutely. It
0: seems like a uh, uh, potentially successful ruse. Right. Or, you know,
1: is it? Is it even a ruse? To the Puritans, it was, and they thought they were not going to be fooled. But if we return to the colonies in the New World at this time, uh, we find that people were divided. The Puritans were playing fun police. They kept a stranglehold on fun in New England, but not all of what would become America was against the idea. Settlers in the southern parts like Jamestown, Virginia, had no problem celebrating Christmas and the ban that the Puritans attempted was ultimately, well, obviously, spoiler alert for anyone listening to this in 2017, it didn't work. People still celebrate Christmas in the United States, but the ban itself, while it was enforced, was also never completely. Successful, which is something we see happen a lot with any sort of prohibition.
0: Yeah, and back to that ban that they uh, instituted in Boston um, in 1659. Uh, and like I said, it was just if you were found celebrating Christmas, you'd be fined five shillings. Five here, shillings? Yeah, five shillings. Uh, and then here is the language of that. For preventing disorders arising in several places within this jurisdiction by reason of some still observing such festivals as was superstitiously kept in other countries to the great dishonor of God and offense of others is therefore ordered that whosoever shall be found observing any such day as Christmas or the like either by forbearing of labor, feasting, or any other way upon such account as aforesaid. Every such person so offending shall pay for every such offense five shillings as fine to the county. Beautiful. Very Grinch-like, isn't it?
1: Yes. And they were attaching a financial incentive there so that the law
0: actually had teeth, you know. And that ban actually remained in place for 22 years and then was abolished in 1681. And that's because there was this... Uh, influx of European immigrants that really insisted upon Christmas. Right. And the society was changing at a different
1: pace in different parts of the world. So it was changing at a slower rate in New England and more rapidly in the middle colonies in the South. There was a need for pluralism and social harmony. So people began coming together culturally to celebrate Christmas. Yet the status of the holiday it was still haphazard and there wasn't a huge amount of harmony
0: in the specific traditions that they practiced you know and even after this coming together that you're talking about it still took a while before christmas became entrenched the way it is today as far as like a national holiday congress was in session on christmas of 1789 and that was the year after the constitution was ratified uh the senate worked on Christmas of 1797. The house met on Christmas of 1802. So this was not um, a big deal
1: yet. Yeah, it wasn't until later in the 19th century that Christmas began to shape up into something that the average person in 2017 would recognize. Uh, different religions and denominations emerged in America, and they held Christmas both as a holy day and a day of celebration. The Puritans took notice.
0: Yeah, and our author friend, uh, Penn Rostad of Christmas in America A History, um, said this. The Puritans are sort of being introduced to varieties of religious experiences that can't help but start to kind of wear away one's commitment to a single way of thinking. So in other words... You know, different religions formed in in local governments, and there was this kind of give and take between different networks that helped kind of calm down some of these animosities and biases between these different groups. And then in 1870, 250 years after Plymouth Rock, the U.S. declared Christmas a national holiday.
1: And it happened, this declaration happened because of compelling economics, the emergence of a middle class. The idea of giving and receiving Christmas gifts took hold when people had the ability to afford uh, such exchanges, right? And then there was this emphasis on hanging at home and hanging with your family, so no more stoolball in the street, no more frolicking in the street.
0: And you know, uh, Christmas today still involves a fair amount of gluttony and, uh, boozing, you know, mm-hmm. depending on your, family. I don't know about your family, but it certainly does in mine, but I guess we found kind of a middle ground. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not like we're, uh, going door to door. I meant to mention this earlier, but in the early days of Christmas in England, begging, wassailing they called it it involved going door to door to wealthy people's houses begging for food and at times if they refused you you would like barge into their homes and like like clockwork orange style and start like trashing the place you know so we've come a long way (laughs) we have come a long way
1: So, the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hey, Noel, have you ever wanted to wake up to something better?
0: Oh, boy, have I ever been.
1: (laughs) Well, uh, this is where Avalon Waterways comes in. How does waking up to a medieval castle, an ancient cathedral, a rolling vineyard, or a charming cobblestone village sound to you?
0: Well, here on Ridiculous History, that's right up our street, Ben, our charming cobblestone street. So I can say it sounds pretty good to me. You're absolutely right, Noel. Avalon Waterways has
1: redefined cruising in so many times Unique and interesting Christmas traditions from outside of the United States. Of course, honorable mention to Krampus. And Krampus's spot kind of got blown up a few years ago here in the U.S. Sure. Everybody knew about it. There are multiple films. Uh, there's the poop log, a Catalan custom in Spain, uh, where they hollow out this log. They add legs and a face, and you have to feed it every day. Here, check this out. You have to feed him every day (laughs) leading up to Christmas, starting on December 8th. uh, And then you you sing a song uh, while you're feeding him. And the song is like, poop log, poop log, hazelnuts and cottage cheese. If you don't poop well, I'll hit you with a stick. Poop log. True story. Wow. Yeah. And on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day, you put the poop log in the fireplace and beat him with sticks until he poops out small candies, fruits and nuts that you've been feeding him.
0: Yeah, that does stuff does kind of stick around in your poop.
1: <laughs> Where how do we get
0: here? Weird Christmas
1: traditions. You uh, know about Belschnickel? Tell me about Bell Schnickel.
0: There's different versions of Bell Schnickel that appear in different cultures. Like, it was preserved even in the, uh, Pennsylvania Dutch tradition. But I think you would put out a pair of shoes, uh, and, and he, he would put candy and treats and small gifts. And I think it was his job to let Santa know, um, if you'd been behaving or not. Oh, okay. He was, uh, he's kind of a lieutenant, an informer. He definitely is pictured, um, as this. He looks kind of like a trapper. Like a fur trapper, you know, uh-huh. and he's carrying around this bundle of sticks. And I'm, I'm having a hard time finding precise mention of this, but that was the Dwight thing in the office where he's whipping people with these sticks. So, uh, you know, a, a patently unpleasant depiction of, uh, of jolly old Saint Nick.
1: That's, that's interesting. I want to learn more about that. And thank you for introducing it to me. My, my favorite weird Christmas tradition mm. for years running now has been KFC in Japan. You, you know about this, right?
0: Well, didn't we, uh, me and you and Matt from our other show stuff? Yeah. They don't want you to know we had fried chicken on Christmas.
1: That's once. right, we did. And I totally that forgot was because
0: about of that. This. Let's hear about it.
1: So, the celebration of Christmas in Asia often has, uh, often involves imported Western traditions, but in Japan, a lot of those traditions were shaped by commercial interest. So the holiday in Japan has an emphasis on romantic love, and it's a day you spend with your sweetie, you know. Bakeries sell Christmas cakes, but the big thing is Kentucky Fried Chicken. People order special holiday Kentucky Fried Chicken meals. It's a tradition. It's like the busiest time of year for KFC in Japan.
0: Where does this come from, Ben?
1: That's my question, and it might have to be another episode, but I hope somebody will write in and let us know. We're ridiculous at HowStuffWorks.com. Let us know about your experience with KFC in Japan. Uh, and if you live in Japan, well, I, I'm really curious. Is it the same kind of KFC that we have here in the States, or is it inherently better? I don't know. I don't know either. But we do know this. Although the ban on Christmas never – was entirely successful. There are still groups out there today who consider themselves Christian and because they are Christian, they believe they should not celebrate Christmas. Uh, they also think that the – you know, that everything about it is ultimately a pagan tradition, bringing in the tree,
0: right? That's mm-hmm. not – a biblical thing also things like holly and ivy uh mm-hmm. we were talking with uh casey super producer casey pegram before we started recording about how i, I did, I did it didn't it didn't until recently occur to me how kind of pagany those lyrics are it's like the rising of the sun and the running of the deer you know it's it's very uh has this kind of mystical um you know almost sylvan woodland kind of vibe to it you know exactly and the concerns
1: here are are valid and they're real for people who feel like it is a um, an appropriation of their actual religion then uh, the logic internally is clear. You wouldn't celebrate Christmas if that's what you believe.
0: Yeah, and what if you're like a modern-day pagan? I mean, that is a thing. People Mm -hmm. still hold those old traditions and take them very seriously. and solstice rituals and the like. And there's probably a sense there that a lot of that's been kind of co-opted, and they are made to feel like what they're doing is in some way wicked.
1: Right. And, you know, one thing that, I can stand behind is freedom of holidays. People should be allowed to celebrate whatever they want. I, I just think it's a wrong move to ban somebody from a celebration if they're not
0: hurting anyone. Well, as we know from this story, I mean, you can ban it all day long. People are still going to do it. Frolic? They might They might just have to frolic in secret. The devil's sachet. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I don't know why I keep using that phrase, but for now uh this is going to conclude i guess our very first holiday episode
0: yeah so you know uh merry melodies to all happy holidays to you and yours yes indeed um yeah what about what's this war on christmas i keep hearing about <laughs> how's that going
1: ah uh, yeah that's when they write an in x m a s instead oh, of christmas that
0: is uh, 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 sad mhm
1: shame yeah, it's a it's a real issue for a lot of people. I'd be interested to hear uh, what you think, friends and neighbors. Uh, do you believe that there's a war on Christmas? I, 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 candidly, I'm a little more interested in hearing any weird Christmas traditions that your family celebrates. Did you ever hear this Christmas pig thing? No. Somebody introduced me to it. They take like a pig, and they put it in this sack. It's like a little uh, a pig made out of candy, pink pig. And then they break it with a little hammer. I was at a friend's house for Christmas, and I I still haven't found anybody else who's heard of that.
0: Sounds made up. No, they did it. They had the pig. <laughs> That's the thing about traditions though. They can be made up. That's Many true. of them are all made up. It's just like, what, what do you do? What works for you? Please let us know. Ridiculous at howstuffworks.com. You can also drop us a note on Facebook or uh, Instagram. Leave us a comment. Um, we're going to start getting into that Instagram ourselves a little more. We, we, we have, uh, we've been kind of just posting uh, little previews to episodes and let us know what kind of stuff you want to see if, if there's, you know, you want some candid shots of, of Ben and I uh, riding roller coasters t- together on the weekend. We do it. It's been known to happen. All true. All true. And
1: if you have a tradition that you think your fellow listeners would enjoy celebrating,
0: let us know. And most importantly, come on back and join us for the next episode of Ridiculous History. And you know, have a nice uh, time off. We'll see you next time.